Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. This is a reading from the prophet Isaiah. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Please stand for a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Thank you, Katie. You all may have a seat. If you are visiting with us this morning, I just wanted to share that our pastor Jordan is taking a time of respite during this Advent season just to rest and refill. And so today we have Benjamin here with us. Benjamin, if you'll come on up. Yes. Uh, Benjamin needs no introduction around our community, but I did just want to take a moment to say thank you, Benjamin, mm. for being with us to serve communion every week and to speak today while um, Jordan is gone. Your family is such a joy to have in our community, so mm. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll give a pre-intro intro. I didn't say this last service, probably because I need to go to the cry room afterwards, but... Um, <laughs> This year, I really, uh, probably starting in like October, was asking God for an Advent redo. Um, Advent last year didn't feel like I wanted it to feel. There was a, an unexpected transition, and it was, it was Jordan who um, just tended to me 
in that, in that tender space uh, who showed up and sat in a coffee shop with me for four hours and listened to me and loved me um, and continued loving me and continued coming for me in the way that Christ comes for us. And so um, this morning, God just reminded me that I, I, I did get that advent after all um, and that God doesn't waste anything. And so I'm grateful to this church. I'm grateful to its staff. I'm grateful to, to Jordan. And you can cut this out of the recording so he doesn't hear that. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's been my honor and pleasure to, to serve with you all these few weeks. So thank you for, for the space. Okay, back in. The year is 1999, and uh, 13-year-old Benjamin is poised in his position as the curtain opener and closer for his middle school production of the musical Annie. Uh, Fun fact about me here, I really love to sing. My voice is actually struggling this morning because I had some good worship on the way to church, and then I've been been singing loud. But I have a voice, as you would say, only a mother would love. So uh, most of my singing is is in the kitchen uh, at my kids' inconvenience or the shower. Um, And so rather than auditioning for the musical, I made myself available to be on the stage crew. And I had an important role, uh, pulling the curtain open and closed at the beginning of the show and for scene changes and at the end. And you don't really get to practice this role. Um, You're just kind of there until you get to the dress rehearsal. And that's where you practice everything as if it were going to happen, music and lights and the pianist is there and all of that. And so we get to the night of the dress rehearsal and the time comes for Annie's big solo, the sun will come out tomorrow and that spotlight is ready for her and everything is ready in place but the dog is nowhere to be found and so from side stage I am called to get down on all fours and become the dog in the musical (laughs) Annie there's a, a great picture of this somewhere in that instance I went from someone who was part of the show but not seen Someone who was proximate, uh, who was now front and center. Someone who was in the midst of the activity. And that changed something in me. It changed my confidence. And so the next year when it came time to audition for the musical Grease, I brought my little uh, Kirk Franklin tape and put it in and you know, sang my song. And I was able to get two speaking lines <laughs> and join the chorus. And so these moments happen in all of our life, right, where we get called into the activity of something, where we go from kind of passively humming along to boisterously and joyfully singing the song because we recognize this chorus and we want to be a part of it. There are moments in our lives where we get called from being adjacent to the story to being right in the thick of it. And I think that's what's going on in our gospel text this morning, It's Jesus beckoning to us, inviting us to come from center stage, to get down on all fours, and to join the chorus of liberation. And so the big idea this morning is this, that Advent joy invites us to join the chorus of liberation. Advent joy invites us to join the chorus of liberation. Another way to say this is Advent draws us deeper into the big story of God and invites us to be active participants and not just passive observers. A third way to say it, maybe the most simple, the big enough story of God is meant to be lived. This is a story to live into. Last week, Megan did such an incredible job of calling forth this beautiful reality in the scriptures. It's a theme that we don't often see, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's this arc of liberation 
And this is the very abridged version. You should go listen to that sermon if you have not. But liberation theology is a lens that marginalized people groups have used to understand the primary activity of God in Scripture as moving towards the oppressed, towards the enslaved, in response to cries for mercy and justice. In this set of lenses, it views God as the liberator, the one who vindicates, who sets free, and then engages that freed people to live into a new kind of humanity. And the question we were left with last week, and it's been sitting on my heart all week, is where we're going to begin to explore this text. The question was, how do we sing a different song back to the empire? How do we sing a different song back to the empire? This contrast of empire and kingdom is showing up all through the biblical narrative. And I want us to watch how in this gospel story, that contrast can provide us footing for our freedom. As a baseline, I just want us to think about these two realities, and this is the cadence I'll keep. Empire demands. It's demanding. Kingdom liberates. It's freeing. This is the cadence we'll keep. Demand versus invitation. Let's dig around in the text with that lens. Matthew's gospel records that when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent by his, word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who's to come or are we to wait for another? For context here, the John referred to is John the Baptist. There's a few Johns in the scriptures, but John the Baptist shows up earlier in the Advent stories. He shows up earlier in the Advent passages. He's actually the one who was first conceived of a barren woman. Gabriel, this same angel that showed up to talk to Mary, showed up to talk to his dad, Zechariah, who was a priest serving in the temple. And because Zechariah, in this sort of stupor of amazement and disbelief, the angel shut Zechariah's mouth until the time of John's birth. It's a pretty amazing story. This John then uh, becomes the one who leaps for joy in his mother's womb when Mary shows up with Jesus in the womb. He's then born, and his father, Zechariah, whose tongue is now loose, prophesies over him. Then the scriptures say he grows strong, and the Spirit leads him into the wilderness until his public appearance. Same John here ends up hearing from the Lord, hey, go to the wilderness and, and baptize and call people unto repentance. And so he's doing that, and then this Jesus shows up on the scene as a 30-year-old as a who's done nothing of remark to this point and has an argument with John over whether or not he should be the one that baptizes him, like who should baptize who in this situation. Needless to say, John has lived a pretty remarkable life. It's been pretty miraculous. He's been living into the big enough story, and he's not been a spectator. He's been singing the chorus of liberation, and he's been doing it so much so that he finds himself now imprisoned because he spoke against the empire. And so you can probably imagine. You can probably feel the depth of despair, the doubt, the disorientation, the dissonance in John's question. With everything God has seen and do in his life, and with everything that he hears that God is doing through this Jesus, is this really how it's going to go down? Imprisoned? I heard you were coming in vengeance. Maybe you've asked similar questions of God. God, are you the one to come, or should I be waiting on someone else? 
Maybe like John, you're in a situation where you don't quite know how it's going to turn out, but this feels off the path. This feels like it's lost the plot. This feels like it's not singing the song of liberation. Imprisonment doesn't sound much like freedom. And I would say to you this morning that freedom, that liberation, can at times sound like doubt. They can, in fact, be doubt. I believe what we see happening here is an invitation towards curiosity and away from certainty. You see, the empire demands loyalty, and one way it does this is convincing us that we have to be certain that the chief competitor for our faith is doubt. I believe what Jesus is doing here is blowing the doors off that mindset and saying, no, doubt's not the competitor of your faith. Certainty is. Your questions are welcome here. God, through Jesus, is inviting us to imagine that he's big enough to handle our questions and our doubts, that you don't see Jesus getting insecure or having an identity crisis or saying, like, of course I'm the one. We don't see any of that happening here. So the kingdom is inviting us to a life of curiosity. It's inviting us to imagine that God's okay with our questions. It's inviting us to recognize during Advent that this great cloud of witnesses had faith and had great doubt. And Advent has the opportunity then to give us this imagination for a joyful curiosity because we can see ourselves in these characters, these characters who have touched Jesus, who have watched the miraculous, and yet they're full of doubt and they're full of uncertainty. The invitation this Advent season is to let curiosity be the liberating force, the freedom to enter the season of mystery and wonder without the tyranny of certainty. The invitation here is to have a joyful mind, a joyful mind. The story turns in Jesus' response as stories usually do in the Gospels. Jesus says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. And so here we see Jesus welcoming the doubt of John in his moment of great vulnerability with compassion. Compassion. Now, according to Al Gore's internet, compassion is sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. So this awareness and desire to alleviate. And so here we see Jesus saying, I'm aware of your situation. Yes, I am the one that was spoken of, and so are you. These words of comfort would immediately take John's imagination to that prophecy of Isaiah. The words we read this morning, the very same prophet who spoke of Jesus' life, spoke of John's life as the one who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And in doing so, Jesus calls him to remember who he is and consciously take note, take note of the evidence of God's activity in the world at this moment. This is the pattern John Ott drew our attention to a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy, this remembrance that leads to obedience, right? Empire demands that we have an unexamined consciousness, it forms us to live without any awareness of the activity of God or us, 
in our place in the story. The kingdom invites us, on the other hand, to be alert, to be awake, to be aware of what God is doing among us in our story and in the bigger story, and to see ourselves as invited into it. One of the things I loved about Megan's challenge to us last week is when she shared that we're so often formed by ways that we're totally unaware of. We're so unaware of. And here Jesus is just as gently reminding John and us that seeing and hearing are about inviting us into a new kind of consciousness, a new kind of awareness, one that we can curiously examine so that we may see the places God is calling us to move deeper into the story. So this begs the question, where are the places where we're being invited to sing more loudly the chorus of liberation? Where are those places? I would expect there to be places in your imagination where brokenness is, in your relationships, in your city, in your work, in your life, if you watch any news or read anything on your phone. You don't need help with that, probably. These things are on full display. The question is, do we have eyes to hear, eyes to see and ears to hear? You see, the thing about Jesus saying, go tell John what you see and hear, is there's an assumption built in. And the assumption is that they're looking and that they're listening, right? In order to see and hear, you have to be a person who is willing to look and to listen. And the empire asks you to do one of these right? Here's some food for thought. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution published an article a few weeks ago highlighting the reality that for over a decade, Atlanta has had the highest income disparity in the nation. Here's a quote from the opening of the article. Atlanta has the highest income inequality among large U.S. cities, according to recent data from the U.S. Census Bureau. Driving much of Atlanta's income inequality, experts say, this is where we should be concerned, is the city's entrenched racial disparities, which took root generations ago. As a person who spent the last decade living in one of the communities that bears these scars pretty clearly, and taste this fruit daily, I want to tell you that this does not mean some people have a lot of money and some people have a little money. That's not what that means. This means that there are men and women, seniors and children, people who bear God's image, who deal with an incredible amount of unjust suffering on a daily basis. And God hears that cry. This means that in a city of plenty, there are people in proximity to us suffering from hunger and a lack of access to fresh, healthy food because grocery stores will not come near our communities due to demographic challenges. This means that in a city of plenty, that we are in proximity to those suffering from the injustice of housing policy and experiencing homelessness. This means that in a city with Fortune 500 companies and major colleges and universities, there are those receiving little to no quality education in parts of our city. It means that in our city, 
In Atlanta, there are zip codes with a life expectancy where image bearers of God are expected to live 20-some-odd years less than other parts of our city. This is a problem, and this is proximate to us. And this is happening in a region that has over 1,500 churches or religious buildings. So I'll ask the question again, do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? I want to pull the same tension Megan was pulling last week of critique and cherishment of what the church is capable of doing in light of these realities. Because personally, I've been deeply encouraged to participate in our house church discussions around where we see need around us. Just asking that question, alerting our consciousness together. I've been deeply encouraged by our church's proximity to children and families in the foster care system, like the place we're sitting. And so I want to say as an encouragement and a challenge to us to answer the Advent invitation. Advent invites us into compassion by addressing our proximity to those who might be hurting. Advent invites us to get closer. The weary world rejoices, friends, when we sing the chorus of liberation. And Advent is inviting us to do that with joyful hearts. Joyful hearts. The story turns again. Now to the crowd. And Jesus begins a conversation with them that ends with these verses. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one's arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least of the kingdom is greater than he. And he talks a little bit about robes and palaces and reeds shaking and confusing things to us. But my imagination tells me what Jesus is doing here is that he's calling the crowd into a new kind of reality. It's the reality of the kingdom of heaven. He's careful and surgical as he always is in breaking apart their expectations of power and authority and the way those things come. He's breaking apart their imaginations even of how the prophetic come and speak. You see, John was an interesting character, and just like Jesus was, he was shattering all of the expectations and paradigms that people had for the way God moved and the way God spoke. Even think about John's life as being in the wilderness versus his dad's life of being in the temple, right? Think about that contrast pulling. Wait, God was speaking here. Why is God speaking out there? And we have to go out to hear it. What's going on, right? So Advent is a disruptive part of the story. It's where we find a desire for a conquering king met with a suffering servant. It's where we find the desire for a ruler, a lord, a one where it comes with vengeance to overthrow power and overthrow the oppressive government and liberate us, Lord, born in a cave to a teenage mother impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That's weird. Advents where God begins communicating in a new kind of way. Our responsibility to get in on the work of redeeming and renewing and restoring humanity because it ushers in this kingdom reality and it flips narratives of power and empire on their head. We don't do it like you do. Where the empire demands that we compete, the kingdom invites us to be free, to collaborate. Jesus here is saying, it's not a one-man show. John was the one prophesied about, yes. He is also the greatest person born of a woman. And you're invited into the story as well. 
the least in the kingdom is greater than he. This is the call to see ourselves, to see yourself as a kingdom citizen, where the terms least and greatest start losing any meaning. God empties them of their power because God doesn't create systems of preference or priority the way we do. The empire demands we compete, that we jockey for position, that we claw and we climb, and the kingdom says, get a towel and wash some feet. Dr. King called this the drum major instinct. He said this, we all have the drum major instincts. We all want to be important, to surpass others, to achieve distinction, to lead the parade. The great issue of our life is to harness the drum major instinct. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it or pervert it. I'll add to King's words, the empire has distorted our drum major instinct, and the kingdom wants to redeem it. King is echoing Jesus here and calling us to see the greatness of John in his self-sacrificing nature and to follow his lead into the new kingdom reality that we all have an important role to play. Every single one of us has a part to sing in the chorus of liberation. And Advent invites us to see ourselves as part of this chorus of liberation. It invites us to have joyful hands, joyful hands. I'm going to attempt to land this plane here and then give us some space to have conversation with God, some silence. I want to acknowledge a few realities. We can't do this without God's help. And we should never try to do it alone. Advent is drawing our attention to the reality that God comes in the big enough story in a very particular way. It's meant to show us how we ought to enter the story as well. He comes. He comes as a vulnerable baby, squishy, gross. God is needy and dependent. God's on the run. It's a refugee. He grows up, learns to be a carpenter. He's, a, he's mothered. He's fathered. God's nurtured. The scriptures tell us Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. And then he steps out into this public ministry and life with this affirmation from the Holy Spirit of his belovedness. And so we come. As God came, we come to a conversation with God about our activity in God's big enough story. We come to a God about our part in the chorus of liberation. There's a few conversations you may want to have this morning in this time of silence. Some of us need to have the conversation with God about our belovedness. You've never heard that. You've never felt that. You've heard primarily the empire's megaphone with shame and condemnation and violence. The invitation for you is to respond in freedom to God's blessing over you and God's invitation to join the chorus of liberation, to be free. Others of us need to have a conversation with God about our curiosity. What questions do I have, God? What doubts am I holding, God? Do I have a joyful mind? 
Some of us need to have a conversation with God this morning that asks about our compassion. God, where am I moving towards? Where am I seeing and hearing? God, do I have a joyful heart? Others need to have a conversation with God this morning that asks, where am I collaborating with you, God, to see healing and justice in this new kingdom-oriented reality? God, do I have joyful hands? Now, these are big questions, weighty questions, and they need space. So I'm going to give us a few minutes of silence to start a conversation with God. My prayer for me and for you is that the Holy Spirit meets you in this conversation and it's one you want to continue in the days and weeks ahead. And then I'll break the silence and lead us towards the table.